This is the Clinician's Roundtable, and I'm your host, Dr. Laura Humphrey. My guest today is Dr. John Hansen Flashen, Professor of Medicine, Chief of Pulmonary Allergy and Critical Care, and the Medical Director of the Penn Lung Center at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Hansen Flashen, welcome. Thank you. In today's program, we will be talking about non-tubercular microbacterial infections, including differential diagnosis, case profiles, diagnostic modalities, and issues with current treatment protocols. We will also talk about end-of-life care. Tell us about non-tubercular microbacterial infections. I'd like to tell your listening audience about a syndrome of chronic infection of the lungs that is really drawing the attention of consulting pulmonologists across the country now. It's a syndrome that we knew nothing about before 1990. This is an infection of the lungs with a non-tuberculous mycobacteria, Mycobacterium avium intracelluliare, or Mycobacterium avium complex, another name for it, sometimes known as MAC. The disease pattern that's drawing attention of pulmonologists is quite targeted. A patient with this syndrome is typically a otherwise healthy woman, often slight in stature, between the ages of 50 and perhaps 75, who comes to a doctor complaining of a new onset of a daily productive cough, now lasting many weeks to several months, responding poorly or not at all to ordinary oral antibiotics. And there may be very small nodular infiltrate at the fingertips of bronchiectatic airway branches, giving a pattern that is referred to as a tree and bud pattern. When a radiologist and physician see this radiographic pattern in an otherwise healthy woman above the age of 50 with a persistent productive cough, infection with mycobacterium avium complex should be strongly considered. What is the differential diagnosis? For a chronic cough, there are many possible causes, most notably chronic bronchitis associated with cigarette smoking, other types of chronic bronchitis, and then bronchiectasis is an increasingly common chronic lung disease. There are other organisms that might produce a persistent cough unresponsive to ordinary antibiotics, such as chronic infection with pseudomonas. So MAC is just one of the possibilities for a person with a persistent productive cough in this age range. But because we weren't aware of this type of infection before and because we're encountering so commonly now, I think it's worthwhile for listeners to know about it. Doctor, can you give us another profile of this woman presenting with a chronic cough? There are all kinds of variations, but the classic, very characteristic victim of this syndrome is a previously entirely healthy woman may have smoked in the distant past or not at all, with apparently healthy lungs to begin with. Immunological testing shows no immunodeficiency of the type that we might identify with ordinary testing. And in fact, the predisposition of these women to this infection remains unknown. What will be included in the workup? A person with a persistent productive cough and an abnormal chest X-ray is next evaluated by microbiological sampling of the airways. If the patient is able to bring up a tablespoon of purulent appearing material, often the answer lies in culturing that sample. Many women, though, even though they complain of a productive cough, aren't able to bring up a sufficient sample for testing. And so more often than not, we end up doing a bronchoscopy to obtain good samples for microbiological stains and culture. 
How often are the microbacteria found on bronchoscopy, and what is the diagnosis based on? With established persistent symptoms and a definitely abnormal chest radiograph, the bronchoscopy well-performed usually yields mycobacterium avium complex. The diagnosis is based on the clinical radiographic and microbiological correlation. For example, if somebody has no symptoms and a clear chest X-ray and grows MAC from airway secretions, we might think that a contaminant. But symptoms plus an X-ray plus cultures for this organism stand pretty well now as a diagnosis of chronic pulmonary infection with MAC. What's the next step for the treating physician? As a next step, we try to understand how much the disease is compromising a woman's health. And a daily persistent cough is a real compromise of health and impairment of quality of life. We also consider whether the infection is progressing over time. If we perceive a reduction in quality of life or radiographic progression, that's my threshold for treating the infection. And currently, most of us are using the combination of three antibiotics. That would be a macrolide in combination with ethambutol, and most commonly rifampin or sometimes rifibutin, or as an alternative, a quinolone. Three antibiotics taken daily for 18 months to two years. That treatment regimen typically stops the coughing and sputum production, and may, after a period of many weeks, improve the radiographic appearance of pulmonary infiltrates. But distressingly, about half the people who undergo a complete course of therapy then relapse with recurrent infection within 6 to 18 months after they stop taking the medications. We're not entirely sure what to do with those patients, but most of us will reinitiate therapy with two or three drugs and continue that indefinitely thereafter. Is it difficult to convince patients that 18 months of therapy is necessary? Well, it's a conversation between the physician and the patient. The infection is so indolent that the two together might decide not to initiate therapy for a mild cough, but to follow up with it. Generally, though, by the time a person is coughing daily and embarrassed by it and being tired and worn out by it, they're ready to start treatment. And at that point, the issues are affording the medications and side effects that sometimes occur with any of those three medications. Is there any danger in not treating this? Some people will smolder on for a long time with stable disease or very slight progression, but a number of others do progress over a period of three years or six or seven years to extensive cavitary disease. By that time, malaise, weight loss, low-grade fever are often apparent. And treatment initiated that late is a catch-up business that is increasingly desperate. So if a patient with pulmonary MAC infection, otherwise healthy woman, is not treated initially, it's very important to follow up and initiate therapy on confirmed progression before the disease extends to cavitary lung involvement. 
You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. If you're just joining us, my guest is Dr. John Hansen Flaschen, Professor of Medicine, Chief of Pulmonary Allergy and Critical Care, and the Medical Director of the Penn Lung Center at the University of Pennsylvania. Doctor, please tell us, how can a physician transition a patient from chronic care to end-of-life care? I'll do that. I have much experience with it and struggle with the process myself, but here are some thoughts about how to initiate useful discussions with a patient who has a chronic non-malignant disease and has reached a point in progression that they may well die within the next 6 to 12 months. My experience as a pulmonologist is with diseases like COPD and IPF, but I think this approach could apply to other diseases as well. In an outpatient office setting, ideally, at the right moment, after a silence, I find it useful to ask this question. Mrs. Jones, have you been thinking about how or when you might die? If I ask at the right time, I often get a strong response to that and not uncommonly tears. Sometimes anger, sometimes that's the end of the discussion, and often other times the answer is yes, and I feel invited to carry forward. In the diseases I'm familiar with, and many non-malignant chronic progressive degenerative diseases, we don't really know how or when somebody will die, but we have some use information that might be useful. So I try to bracket a person's prognosis in a way that they may be able to understand, but also say you could die at any time from a complication of your disease. And that could statement leads into an opportunity to prepare a person for advanced medical planning. Open, expect for the best, that is share the patient's hope and encourage it, but pragmatically start thinking about and preparing for the worst. That phrase or variations on it can lead into a proposal of a Another outpatient visit scheduled separately for conversation between the patient, physician, and the closest family member or friend. So I'll say, why don't we set up another time when you and your wife can return and we'll devote the whole session to an open conversation about what you might feel strongest about when the time comes that it's clear you're dying. When that conversation comes, I started up with a very broadly based question or two. I expect you've been thinking since we last met, what's on your mind? Or sometimes if people need a little prodding, what are the things you most fear in your future? And another parallel question, what are those things you most look forward to in your future? I want to thank Dr. John Hansen Flaschen, who's been our guest today. I'm Dr. Laura Humphrey. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.